I'm Emily and I wish I knew more about how to let go of a shift after I finished. Hi, my name's Joseph and I wish when I started I'd learn more about how to communicate with patients, family and friends. Hi, my name's Lily and I wish I knew more about dressing selection for wound care. Hello, welcome to Five Things, the nursing podcast from the Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital. My name is Liz Crow. I'm Jesse Spur, and this is a podcast by, for, and with the amazing nurses and health professionals in our corner of the world. We hope to connect with a global community as we move from surviving to thriving. Welcome to Five Things. My name is Liz Crow, and I'm Jesse Spur. And we've got something that is really relevant to absolutely every single healthcare professional out there. Today, we're going to talk about five things we all need to understand about clinical handover. And when we were deciding who to invite to speak on this subject, we thought there is no one in the hospital that handovers more than people who work in the post-anesthetic care unit or the PACU. So today we're welcoming Shania Tribble, who is a registered nurse from the PACU at the Royal Brisbane. How are you? Good, good. How are you guys? Yeah, we're good, thank you. We're tops. So as is becoming customary on Five Things, we'd like to get to know you a little bit and your personal journey in nursing so far. Um, sure. I do know from our pre-chat that it's a little bit less in terms of years than some of our longer tooth guests that we've had so far, but that's fantastic. So it'd be really great to get to know what's your background, how'd you get into nursing and where you're at now? Yeah, sure. So I guess, like you said, my journey is a little bit shorter than some of your other guests. Um, I originally started off going to uni, uh, thought I wanted to be a lawyer, was in the mindset, definitely going to be a lawyer. Um, Got about a year into that and I was getting really bored um, at the same time, my little sister, she's going through a couple um, medical complications and I just found this love for working in hospitals and the care that was provided to her. And I was like, why don't I just switch over and start into a nursing degree? Uh, I did that for a couple of years, started working at the children's hospital, uh, working in a medical surge ward, got a good variety of experience there. Um, and then once I graduated, I did a placement over in the PACU unit. I love the area I was in. Um, so when I graduated, I applied to PACU and thankfully I got the job there. I've done a grad program over there for a year and this will be my first year out of that grad program. So about two years of official nursing degree. Well, that is impressive that two years out and your num chose you over all your colleagues to come and speak um, around a clinical handover. So I think that'll be really encouraging to our new graduates out there. So well done. Thank you. That's awesome. And you are one of the COVID babies, I suppose, of having done your grad program and all your professional nursing has been during the pandemic so far. Yeah, yeah. I guess I am a COVID baby <laughs> in that sense. <laughs> yeah. So should we get straight into it? Um, clinical handover is something that we all have to do. And so we've seen it done in a number of ways, sometimes poorly, sometimes excellent. Can you please share with us your number one tip for doing a great clinical handover? Sure. So I think my number one tip um, would be using a standardised and a constant template. So I think it's drilled into us when we're in uni to use a template to get your handover across. But I think it's such an important thing to remember 
when we keep it consistent and standardised between the hospital, we know what we're looking for in a handover and it makes it predictable what we're looking for between what you're handing over and what the uh, upcoming nurse is going to expect to receive. And I think when you're a new nurse starting out, it gives you a bit of stability when you're going to do a handover is that you know kind of your key points that you want to hand over to. And I think it just makes you a bit more confident every time you do a handover, you know what you're looking to give across. Makes a lot of sense. And I mean, I guess there's, I'm picking out two things from that is the expressive and receptive sort of transaction that happens in handovers. Yeah, that sure. It's as much as about the receiver as it is about the giver of a handover. And the other thing that you hit on really nicely is just managing cognitive load and having a structure that's reproducible helps you organize that information, especially when it's a relatively new thing to you, or you've got lots of competing demands, which sounds like a lot of nursing practice especially when you're working in an area like PACU when you're doing so many different types of handover you know we hand over patients straight home they go to ICU HDU back to the ward um, down to uh, radiology Um, so it's good to prioritize information that you definitely want to get across and what the upcoming nurse is expecting to receive from your handover and having kind of that reflective practice about what would I want to know as a receiving nurse And do you find there is consistency in tools across the hospital? I think so. I believe at the Royal, we're trying to advocate to use an ISPAR handover, which is usually drilled to us in uni. And I think when we all use kind of the same practice, it is a bit easier to understand what every nurse is kind of looking for when you hand over your patient. Uh, Obviously, different areas might use a different variant of an ISPAR, like your ICU, your ED might use something a bit um, varied. But most um, ward settings and in PACU particularly, we do try and advocate for an ISPAR handover. And given that this, you know, hopefully is going around the world, can you just explain what's an ISPAR handover tool? What does it stand for? So ISPAR is essentially um, broken down into five different categories of a handover and they're quite easy to understand and break down. So you've got your identification, which is your three sets of identifying markers for handing over a patient. Uh, You can also explain who you are, where you're from. Um, And then you've got your um, situation. So what brought the patient into hospital? Why are they here? You know, are they day three post-esophagectomy or something like that? Uh, And then you go through your background. So keeping it brief, keeping it relevant. What other contributing factors might be going on with this patient? Do they have MRSA? Do they have type 2 diabetes? That would complicate the factor and influence the next nurse to look after that patient. And then you've got your assessment. So that's probably the brunt of what would be a variant when you're handing over your patient. What's happened in your shift that you can hand over to the next staff that will help them look after this patient better? You know, have they had a deterioration? Have they had, uh, you know, a spike in their fever? Has there been some change in their plan that might affect their mental health? And then you've got your recommendations. So has the surgical team come round? Has the uh, medical team come round? Have they changed the plan of care? What are we aiming to achieve with this patient going forward? That is honestly one of the best explanations of ISBAR and I've sat through many, many, many presentations on it and had to give many, many, many in-services on it. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. It's, that's so clear. So I think I think we can go straight to point number two. What What is your second tip for a great handover? 
So this is probably more personally to I like to do when I do a handover. So I think you should always follow up your clinical handover with a head to toe assessment. It can be brief. It doesn't have to be an extensive, comprehensive handover like you do um, down ED when you do your primary surveys. But I think once you've done your ISPAR handover, you can just look at your patient and just go head to toe and make sure you have hit all your points and you haven't forgotten anything because I think when you do a handover even a complex handover is when you go to HDU or ICU sometimes you can forget your little points so just a brief head to toe you can look at neurological status when you look at the brain go down to the nose what's the oxygen requirement has it changed you can go down to the mouth what's their uh, nutritional status are they nearby mouth are they on thickened fluids keep going down when you get to your abdomen do we have wounds there do we have drips and drains and stuff like that Look at the arms. What's your IV access? You can follow that up to the infusions. What's your infusions going through? Keep going down. Get to the pelvis. Look at your catheters. Do we have a fecal catheter? Do we have an IDC in? Are they continent? Are they not? Do they have the pad on? Keep going down. Get to your legs. Look at your antithrombolytics. Are they wearing TEDs? Are they wearing SCUDs? Keep going. And what's their mobility status like? And once you've done that, you can be assured that you've hit all your points when you give a clinical handover and that you and the next nurse are on the same page about what's going on with the patient. You explain that so well because this is not something that is a 10-minute deep dive head-to-toe assessment um, that we do in as part of, say, an admission. It's, it's actually using the, that head-to-toe process as a, almost like a cognitive aid for yourself of using the patient's anatomy to prompt, prompt you to get things. So I love that. Yeah, yeah exactly. I love, I love it too, and it's so visual. You know, like I was watching you do it, you're gesturing with your hand, which obviously our listeners can't see, but I was going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. And oh, she's come back to the arms, yep, drips, infusions. You know, it's particularly if you're nervous, you know, and you're handing over to someone who's far more senior or maybe it's your first handover to an ICU uh, following a MET call. This is perfect because you've got the ISPA and then, right, let me just check all the way through. I know in PACU you probably don't hand over as much around social context. That's my assumption. Where would you see that fit in the head to toe, like – before they, you know, feet before they walk out the door, is there something socially I need to make comment on? I think it depends on what like the, the social alert would be. I usually try and put that in with my identification with alerts. You know, you've got an infection status or do you have like a behavioural alert as well? Um, but other things like you can be prompted if you've got family members there and you can hand over the family members uh, and any other constructs of the social alert that you'd need to hand over. Yeah, great point. Okay, so can you please share with us number three? Yes. So number three is kind of a a point that you just made about the social alerts. I think it's really important that the patient is part of the clinical handover. So I think when you use the patient in the clinical handover, it makes it more patient-centred. Whenever I have a patient and they can contribute effectively to the clinical handover, I think it just makes it more wholesome. You know, these are patients that have looked after their health for all their life, they know their chronic conditions, they know how to look after themselves, they know what is effective and what's ineffective. And when you're including them, they become part of the active process to make themselves feel better, make themselves, they know what the plan is going forward. And when they're included, they can become active members of their own healthcare. I guess um, I'm curious, how often are your patients in PACU awake when you're handing over? Ideally, we try and get them awake before they go up to the ward. (laughs) Um, But as you you know, they do come out quite sedated, usually asleep, but they can still be active members in their own healthcare, especially when you're dealing with chronic back pain patients or just chronic pain patients. 
and trying to work with them exactly what works for them, what doesn't work for them, because they know they've been through it for years. So you still try and actively participate with them and they're waking up, they're confused, they don't know what's happened, they don't know what the conclusion of the surgery is. So you do want to allay those fears as well. Yeah, it's, it gives you that sort of metaphor, I guess, you know, of handing, like I'm handing you personally into the care of someone else. And I guess, you know, as a patient, that must be quite empowering to say, okay, I'm not just a post-spinal surgery. I'm not just a COVID patient. They're seeing me as Liz or as Bill and I'm being handed over into the care of someone who is also going to see me as a human being. Yeah, exactly. And I think when you get to the human level, you're also continuing that continuity of care. You're handing over exactly what you know about that patient and what's going to help the next nurse continue that care. I guess it's helpful also because if the patient's part of it and you've forgotten something that is really important, like a med due in 20 minutes or uh, the recommencement of a medication or something else that's causing them anxiety, if you've included them, then they've been able to prompt and then they know, yeah, this is a conversation of which I'm a part of it. Yeah, exactly. Especially when it comes to things there, what's their priority? Sometimes the priority for you as a nurse is not the same as their priority. Usually when we're dealing with PACU patients, theirs is, can you please call my family? I want my family to know that I'm out of surgery. When you're thinking meds are due, I need to look at the oxygen says all that type of stuff. And just make sure that you're looking at them from patient-centered perspective. (laughs) I think that's so gold because often it is, you know, their biggest priority is to say, I'm still alive or I'm okay, knowing that there are people anxiously waiting exactly people and dogs and cats and <laughs> yeah. stuff too. very yeah. important yeah all right so number four so i think my fourth point would be to take your time so with new nurses they're going to be stressed when it comes time to clinical handover you've got multiple nurses looking at you expecting this succinct handover and even when i first started i'd rush through it i just went out of the way but that would lead to overlooking information mumbling through it and it just wouldn't be conductive to a good clinical handover so I think for new nurses it's important to you know take a deep breath take your time distinctly work through your clinical handover do your ISPA do your head to toe and then allow the nurse time to ask questions clarify information if you need it and just go from there I, re- I really like that there's a there's a phrase that I really like, which is slow is smooth, smooth is fast. By taking time in that first process, you often eliminate off a, a lot of the contingency time waste stuff of, oh man, they've gone up to the ward and I've missed the drug chart still here. And you've gotten that phone call and the, the things that then become a massive time suck because something that's been missed because of the perceived time poorness of the handover interaction where like you said, if we've got those checks and balances and that structure that we're just deliberate about reproducing, it also eliminates the need for lots and lots of tangential questions often at the end of a handover interaction. Yeah, exactly. And what I've found from reflection back when I used to do really fast handovers is that it's going to take the a new nurse more time to read through your notes and find the information they need than if you just succinctly took your time and explained everything properly. That's that really important thing of remembering that it's expressive and receptive. It's a transaction as well. Exactly. And by taking your time, you're helping manage the receiver's cognitive load as well. 
So one thing I've been thinking about, and I guess we we didn't prompt you this, so this is on us, is when you're about to give a clinical handover to a nurse, how much time do you take to introduce yourself and how much do you just jump in? I think I do recognise that usually when I'm handing over to the staff on the wards is that they're quite rushed on the wards as well. So I try and make my introductions quite quick and snappy. Um, but I do introduce myself, ask them how they're doing, if they need any help with anything, because, you know, they are quite stressed. Perfect. Because that's the thing. If someone's stressed, even if you give this wonderful handover, how much they're actually able to absorb is is kind of lost, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. If you're stressed about something else, you're not going to receive the information from me. And the priority for me is making sure you understand what's required to look after this patient effectively. And if they're busy with a patient, I'm absolutely happy to wait until they have my attention. Well, I have their attention. Great. Right. Can you take us to your final point, please? Of course. So my last point is more so for the ward staff. I think it's important that because of how rushed they are usually during their shift is that sometimes they can find they don't have enough time to write out a clinical handover when there's a shift change. And I think it's important to, throughout your shift, just dot point things that happen so that when it comes time to do a clinical handover, you already have your dot points there and you can do a quite detailed handover as you need. And just understand that your clinical handover sheet at the start of your shift is gold. It's got the majority of the information you need on it to do your first three steps of an ISPAR handover. You've got your identification, you've got your situation, you've got your background. So you really just need to fill in the details about what you've done in your shift and what the recommendations are towards the end. I think that's fantastic. So would you, just to be very clear about it, do you have a notepad and a pen and you jot yourself down little notes that you want to include in a handover or do you just do that mentally? So I think it depends on the complexity of the patients. When I've got HD patients or ICU patients, when they've got quite detailed information about them, I usually jot down a couple of infom- uh, couple points. Um, but with PACU, we do have most of it electronic. So most of our points are written electronically. Uh, but it's more for so for ward staff and new nurses on the ward, just because they do have a printed out clinical handover sheet at the start of their shifts that have most of the patient information on it. So you're just suggesting you've got it there, just add to it as you go along. And then when you get to the end of the shift, you're not trying to recall something that happened seven hours ago or 11 hours ago. It's right there in front of you, which certainly helps with that cognitive load, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. So your five things for a a clinical handover is number one, use a standardised and consistent template. And the one that you recommend is Ice Bar. Number two, handover should be done with a brief head-to-toe assessment. Number three, if your patient is well enough and awake, they should absolutely be part of the clinical handover. And number four, I think particularly, you know, at an age where we're all busy, everyone is really fatigued. There's this idea that, you know, faster is better. But your number four tip is actually take your time. And as Jesse pointed out, that can often save time. And number five is a way to manage your time, uh, particularly on a busy ward, is use the clinical handover sheet that's in front of you. It's already got the first few points. And then throughout the entire shift, anything that's important, you jot it down. And then when it comes to the clinical handover, there's no cognitive load. It's right there in front of you. Exactly. I think you've summed up my points really nicely. 
Thanks. Well, definitely a medium is the message podcast of succinct, organized and getting the information across beautifully. So thank you very much for your time. And it's been absolutely awesome having you. Thanks, Shana. What a huge career you'll have ahead of you. You're wonderful. Thank you. The Royal Brisbane and Women's Hospital Five Things Nursing Podcast acknowledges the Turrbal and Yagara as the First Nations owners of the lands we now tread. We pay respect to their elders, laws, customs and creation spirits. We recognise that these lands have always been places of healing, teaching and learning. We also wish to acknowledge the First Nations people of the lands of our global community and encourage our listeners to seek out, listen and learn from the knowledge held in your shared space. As well as all major podcast outlets, you can find us at fivethingsnursing.podbean.com. Please also subscribe and give us a rating on your listening platform of choice. This helps others find the podcast. And finally, if you'd like to connect with Liz or myself on Twitter, we can be found at Liz Crow 2 and for me it's inject underscore orange we would absolutely love to hear your thoughts ideas or feedback thanks for listening to five things 